there uh, running in the marathon or half marathon, so in your prayers you can kind of encourage them along. Uh, where is Shane? Shane in the house? Right there. Make your way up here. Shane's going to give us a little update. If you like coffee and you like teens, you need to hear this. Teens? Teen. No. But this is a sweet tea. Yes. Yeah, thanks, Russ. Uh, selling coffee for camp. So I know that a lot of you probably like coffee. Easy way of supporting kids to go to camp from Hilliard and West Central. Our goal is to send uh, 75 kids from Spokane and Hilliard and West Central neighborhoods to Canyons, a Young Life-owned camp. We have a great partnership there. And 60 kids to a U- UGM-owned camp um, at the west end of Long Lake. But more than that, I just want to share a story about camp. How many of you have ever been to camp? Yeah, so a lot of you would agree that it's a very, it's a catalytic experience in our lives. In a lot of ways, it deepens relationships throughout the year. Um, but this happened last year. It was my first year directing our middle school camp. And we had this little boy named Jaden. He's a seventh grader. At the end of the week, we give kids a chance to respond um, to what they've learned and accept Christ in their heart if that's where they're at. And we do a new believers walk with the kids. And uh, we did this new believers walk. We take them outside of the chapel. And we go onto this rock trail. And we challenge the kids to pick up a rock that represents the, the old sin in their life or their old life. So the kids will bend down and pick up a rock, and we go on this walk down this trail that eventually lead to the river. And um, I'll never, ever forget this moment. This little boy, Jaden, who had a pretty tough week, uh, bends down, and he picks up this boulder of a rock. It's funny. It was, I almost wanted to laugh at the same time. That there's so much beauty in this moment because this, this represents what he's carrying, the sin in his life. So he bends down, and he tries to pick this rock up, and he can't pick it up. And it's a pretty long walk to the river, so I'm kind of nervous for him. Um, but this is how God works. His leader that was in his cabin um, all week long with him comes over with him, and he picks up the rock with Jaden, this 50-pound rock, and they carry it all the way down to the river. And we have a couple stops along the way. We stop by a tree to talk about our roots going deep and being connected. And then we go a little bit farther down to the edge of the river, and then um, there we kind of talk about the idea of, of throwing this rock into the river and God giving us new life. And they were holding this rock. All the kids threw the rocks in, and they were the last ones to throw it in. And, I mean, this kid is standing there with his leader, tears in his eyes. And it was just one of those moments where I had to step back and be like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Obviously, this is a representation of Christ walking with us in this moment and the power that we have to come alongside each other in this community. And eventually, after a while of holding the rock, we toss it in the river, and it just makes a huge splash. And it was just this beautiful moment that I, I really got to see that camp is, it's a huge moment for kids' lives. And this is a plug not just for YFC camp. This is a plug for Young Life camp. This is a plug for any camp. If you have the opportunity to support camp, please do it. These kids have an amazing experience that deepens so many relationships. So if the opportunity comes for you to support Young Life Camp, if you get a, a letter or something, or a, a leader comes to you, please support that. Um, support YFC Camp. We really want to take kids from the neighborhood that have never been, sometimes outside their own neighborhood, into the wilderness or up to canyons to experience a week of heaven. And a simple way of doing it is buying coffee. Um, my friend's a local roaster. He roasted here in Spokane, partners with YFC. This is an Ethiopian Yergachev bean. It's a good bean. And uh, he uh, partners with us so that we can sell the coffee and the 100% of the proceeds go to YFC kids. 
So we don't take any of that money. We just want to send kids to camp. We underwrite a lot of money. It's $500 to send one student to camp. And we try to underwrite 400 of that so kids can go for 100. But as we know, they even need help raising that 100. So if you like coffee, buy coffee. If you feel um, it on your heart to sponsor a kid, come talk to me. I can make that happen. It's $500 a kid to go to camp. If you want to give financially in any other way, please come talk to me. We'd love that help. And then we also have a golf tournament um, July 17th. So come talk to me. If you like golf, that's a great way of supporting YFC, and there's some ways to give at camp there too. So thanks for letting me share. I do have a card machine in the back. So if you have cash or card, we could take both. So. Perfect. Thanks, Shane. Judy's going to make a quick announcement. Real quick. When I was in college, I went to a church down uh, in Bellingham, First Pres, and one of the things, uh, there was a couple, and every Sunday in the summer after church, they would open their house up to have a potluck. And there was nothing spectacular about it, but it was the, what Russ was talking a couple weeks ago about opening your home to hospi- hospitality. And it honestly changed the way I saw the Christian church and, and doing the Christian walk. So Balin and I, my husband, and our family would like to open up our home to do the same thing as someone else did to us. So we would like to uh, have a barbecue or a, a potluck tonight. We've got food. We've got drinks. We've got a lake and a boat and paddle boards and all sorts of fun stuff. But what I, I would love to have anyone come out 2 o'clock to whenever, and that whenever does tend to be 10, 11 o'clock at night, but as your schedule permits. But more importantly, if you have somebody on your heart that you're thinking, you know, I would love to invite this person to church, but they're not really church people. Invite them to our house. Bring them over. The more, the merrier. And let them get a taste of what the church looks like doing life well together. So I will be in the back somewhere, blue dress or my husband, if you need, uh, would like to come, or um, I will have directions or a card, or I can give you my cell phone number. But from 2 o'clock on, yep. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Two other quick announcements. Uh, This summer, we are going through a series. It will begin on the 21st. It will be Praying the Psalms. I'm really excited about this series uh, and kind of a little bit jealous that I won't be actually speaking any of those because uh, the the passages we have chosen and the group of speakers uh, is is pretty remarkable. Uh, We're going to have different speaker each week throughout the summer, uh, all from within our community. Uh, people who are passionate about uh, groups, passionate about life together, passionate about this particular psalm. Uh, each one will have a different selected psalm, all kind of building in progression through the summer. Uh, we just encourage you, and start reading through the psalms even. Uh, and each week, another one will be kind of unpacked. And we'd uh, love for group life to be centered on those and for us to be a praying community this summer. Um, as you've been praying for me, I know as some of you have continued to ask little updates, we will be leaving at the end of this month. We'll be gone July and August, as I've told you before. July, we will be in Chicago. We'll probably be living in the Hyde Park neighborhood. And those of you who are familiar with Chicago and the 77 neighborhoods, the Hyde Park neighborhood is on the south side of Chicago, uh, near like uh, the museum campus area. And uh, it should be a, a fun time. Uh, We're going to be working with an organization a little bit called Good City. Some of you have uh, heard that name come up. You've also heard Resource Global come up. Resource Global works, obviously, with people around the world. And uh, they're 
you know, based out of Chicago. I'll be meeting with uh, their ministry director and leader. And, uh, and they are actually have partnered with us in a lot of ways. And uh, just like a, a thank you uh, to Resource Global, they actually are paying for the place we're staying for the whole month uh, while we're there in July. Um, so these, these ministries, these organizations care deeply about this community. And so we'll be able to partner with them a little bit while we're there and pretty excited about that. Uh, Family camping. It is uh, coming soon, uh, the end of August. The deadline in terms of sign-up, I think there's about 35 uh, spots left for Saturday night. If you're interested, see Allison in the back or in the bulletin. Just uh, shoot off an email. We'd love for you to be there. Come up for the day, uh, spend time enjoying the lake and uh, each other's company. Um, let me pray for our giving and uh, for our time this morning. If, uh, if Just a quick other thought with giving. I know some of you are in and out throughout the summer. Uh, some of you find it helpful. You can just go online and uh, set up a reoccurring payment. Uh, that's one of the easiest ways to, to continue to give over the summer. Uh, there's also, some of you have mentioned it out in the foyer, there is a, a little giving wall, a chance for you to uh, continue to support new community and the ministries that we're beginning. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for this morning, thankful for Clipboard Sunday, a chance for us to worship as an entire community, uh, laughing, uh, making crazy sounds, uh, enjoying one another. Uh, And God, I I feel in some ways that that is a picture of what it will be like uh, worshiping you and worshiping together uh, when your kingdom is seen in all its fullness, that we'll get to enjoy one another across age groups and uh, ethnic groups and financial, economic groups, that that all barriers will be broken down and that uh, together the church will celebrate you. I pray that uh, this morning you would continue to reinforce this last section of Romans. Uh, I've been reminded many times in the last couple weeks that you desire for us to live in a a space of forgiveness, to have a posture towards others that uh, rejoices when people are rejoicing and and weeps or mourns with those who are in a period of mourning. And all of that requires us to be in proximity with people, to be known by people. I ask that you would help us in our endeavor to know one another and most of all to know you. Be with Kevin as he speaks and uh, give him words. And may your spirit speak through him to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody? Uh, So the uh, thing that Russ did not mention is, uh, and for many of you, we have talked about this, so you probably know, uh, but why is he going to be gone for two months? Um, It's because we have a very aggressive vacation policy here. No, in reality, though, he and his family uh, are going on sabbatical for, uh, for those two months. So um, as kind of written into our, uh, our manual, our job manual here, uh, as pastors or as a, uh, in that pastoral role, every seven years there is a sabbatical that comes up for a time to be refreshed, a time to study, a time to uh, kind of settle in and regain vision. So um, very, very exciting that they get to do that. And, um, it's going to be fun. Russ is going to be gone for the whole summer. We're going to party here. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, but I, too, am very, very excited about, um, about the speakers that are going to be coming up throughout the summer. I'll have an opportunity to speak a few times. And then we have um, some of who I think are the most quality people in the world will be uh, sharing this stage. And the coolest part about that is 
it's the community speaking to the community. Um, so we could have brought in a, a person to come in and speak all summer, paid somebody to, to hold an interim role. I could have just said, I'll, I'll do it all summer long, and then that my job changed and shifts. But we have so many incredibly talented people that love Jesus so deeply here um, that it was a no-brainer for us just to say, let's, let's get some more voices out here. So uh, it's, a, it's a really cool opportunity, and uh, we are very excited about it. We're uh, continuing on in the book of Romans. Um, so our verses uh, today are 17 and 18 from chapter 12. You can begin to turn there if you'd like to. Um, you may have noticed this as you've been reading, as you've been studying uh, chapter 12. These last seven-ish, eight verses are all kind of saying a lot of the same stuff in a, in a lot of ways. It's really getting at this idea of how, do we, uh, how are we dealing with those outside of the faith? How are we dealing with those who are uh, enemies in our life? And so uh, I gave a talk two weeks ago on the passage, uh, bless those who persecute you, bless uh, and do not curse, um, which again, I'm speaking on 17 and 18 today, and, and the verses are speaking a lot of the same stuff. So um, I pretty much just am redoing that sermon for two weeks ago, and hopefully that will be good for you guys. That's a joke. We can laugh. It's fun. We're having fun today. It's the summer. Um, no, but it is a lot of the same stuff. So we're going to be uh, continuing to look into this idea of uh, how are we dealing with those who do us wrong? What is our posture uh, in, in that situation? How are we handling ourselves? So, uh, but before we turn to Romans, uh, I wanted to start with Jesus this morning. That always seems like a, a good way to start. Uh, and so I found this quote, and I um, have read this several times over the course of the last uh, months, and um, and this quote really resonates with me, and, and I'll, I'll get into why I think it, uh, it, it applies to Romans 12. But here's what it says from a, a guy named Brian Zond. He says, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe what the Gospels report and what the creeds confess concerning the crucified and risen Christ. That's what makes me an Orthodox Christian. But I also believe in Jesus' ideas, the ideas he preached about the peaceable kingdom of God. That's what makes me a radical Christian. Believing in the divinity of Jesus is the heart of Christian orthodoxy, but it's believing in the viability of Jesus' ideas that makes Christianity truly radical. I read that a couple months ago and just was really struck. I mean, just kind of a, a profound word in my life of saying, man, I feel that way. When I look at Jesus, when I think about Jesus, that is kind of how I feel. I mean, I would say that believing that he is the Son of God, that he died, that he reconciled the world, that he then rose, honestly, those are some of the easier parts of my faith, to find the belief in those things. But then actually embodying his ideals, living out the radical ideas that he taught and modeled, that's the difficult part for me. That's the difficult part of the Christian life. And I believe that's what Brian Zond is speaking. I think it's important to remember that even though Romans is a New Testament epistle, and, and we've been challenged throughout this series with this set of incredibly radical ideas, they were always first taught by Jesus. And then they were disseminated to us via Paul's writings. But these are all ideas that Jesus spoke about. These are all Jesus's ideas. And now Paul is writing to the Romans saying, hey, this is what Jesus was about. These are his ideas, his ideals. 
So this morning, verses 17 and 18 of Romans 12, I think present three related radical ideas. Again, some of this uh, we have already looked at, but we're looking at it again. So three ideas from today. The verse was already read. Let me read it again this morning. Romans 12, 17 and 18. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Let me pray. Jesus, we believe in you as Savior and Messiah and King. We trust in you, but we do ask this morning, God, that you allow us and help us and strengthen us to live out the ideas that you taught and modeled. Not just to read things and and study things, but to actually live them out. Challenge us this morning through Romans 12. Lord, we pray that uh, as we are together, as we study, it would not just be head knowledge, but would actually be transforming in our lives, in our actions, in our words, in our thoughts. Be with us this morning, Spirit. Move in this place in a powerful way. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So let's look at these three ideas. The first one is the idea of retaliation. The scripture says, repay no one evil for evil. Verse 17a, that first part of verse 17, is about retaliation. What do we do when an enemy or a friend or a loved one hurts us? What do we do when we've been wronged? I, uh, we live over in the Audubon neighborhood. We love our neighborhood, and I usually get gas on that Safeway that's um, right there on, like, kind of ash and maple northwest right there. And it's, it's, an insane, it's always insane to get gas there, especially if you go, like, after work. And uh, so I chose, I had to get gas on the way home from work. It was about 5 o'clock, and um, it felt like 180 degrees outside this week, and I'm just sweating, and I'm going home, and I'm out there, and my car's pulled up, and there's, uh, there's like two cars deep uh, waiting for the lines. And so I kind of pull in, and I give the car in front of me um, probably two car lengths distance. But it's obvious that I am waiting for this specific gas pump. Very obvious. Being patient, being, I was... A perfect Christian in this moment, just being <laughs> absolutely patient. And so I'm waiting there, and, uh, you know, it feels like 15, 20 minutes. Honestly, it was probably two minutes, but it's, like, aggravating that you have to wait to get gas. And uh, the car, you can kind of see the person is, you know, takes the, the gas pump out and is doing their credit card stuff and all and get in. And, and right as that person backs up and then scoots forward, this little, is it Skyon or Scion? I don't know how you say it, but, like, a little zippy car just... <laughs> Right in front of me. Ooh, there's like a flying here. Just right in there. No, like, completely disregarded the fact that I was there. I, I, I mean, what, what do you even do in that moment? I don't know. I, didn't, I had no idea what to do. I was, like, floored that this situation even happens, that somebody could do this. Pulled in, and this person has, uh, they have to go in, and they're paying with cash or something, so they leave. And so I did the only thing that I knew to do, and so I pulled my car around. And then I just backed right up and just took the gas pump right out of the back of their car and put it in my car and filled my gas up. (laughs) 
So that's actually not totally true. <laughs> How awesome would that be, though? <laughs> Absolutely phenomenal. No, what I did was I just cursed under my breath and waited for 10 minutes while this person pumped gas. Just mad at myself, mad at them. <laughs> wanted to do that. Wanted to go and pull back in and just take the pump right out, but decided not to. Felt like, ugh, it's probably not good for Jesus if I do that. <laughs> I just waited there, just kind of sulking, just frustrated, angry. Whether we act upon it or not, what comes natural to us when we're wronged? It's that get-even mentality. It's that, like, drive deep within us to say, man, I am going to get even somehow at that person. They wronged me. They need to be wronged. The Old Testament law says, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, example, or, uh, so on and so forth. We find this in Exodus 21, Levit- Leviticus 24, Deuteronomy 19. These laws were established for the very specific reason to limit the tendency to retaliate to excess. These laws governed a society to say, hey, when you retaliate, do not retaliate to an excessive degree. But then Jesus comes along, and he expands upon the Old Testament law in the Sermon on the Mount when he says this, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. Jesus is not teaching the Christian just to allow themselves to be walked all over, but instead to find non-retaliatory, non-violent ways to deal with others when we have been wronged. Now, a couple years ago, I gave a sermon during our Elephants series called The Warring Elephant. I'm not going to get into it today, but if you're interested in looking at that specific scripture, Matthew 5, uh, 38 through 42, in greater depth, you could go back and listen to that podcast. I spend the whole time pretty much speaking just about that. But in a really, really practical sense, Jesus is instructing us that we should not retaliate. That we should not retaliate because nothing that is good or right can ever come from retaliation. Nothing. It's the two six-year-olds that get in that pinching war and their parents are trying to, trying to split them apart and then my son goes in for that last little pinch, like that last retaliation. Nothing good can come from it. It's the phrase that we say under our breath to our spouse at the end of a fight. It's the hand gesture that we show the person that just cut us off. Think about it. Do these things ever really lead to a generative outcome? If you're honest with yourself, you have to say, what comes from that, from retaliation, other than satisfying my own pride and my own selfishness? Nothing good comes from retaliation. When we retaliate, we escalate the conflict, and I would go as far as to say that we ruin our Christian witness. Nothing good can come from it. The desire to retaliate is driven by pride. The action of retaliation is a form 
of selfishness. But the thing that I think we really need to understand, not only when we look at Romans 12, but when we look at passages like Matthew 5, 38, is that when we do retaliate, when we give in to that pride, when we give in to that selfishness, we are disobedient to the call of Jesus in our lives. The second idea is about our reputation. Paul goes on to say in uh, the second half of 17, verse 17, give, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. You could literally translate this to take thought in advance of what is visibly good in the sight of all people. So when Paul says that we should take thought for what is honorable inside of all people, he does not mean that we determine our behavior by public opinion, for I would say often public opinion runs contrary to God's word. But he does mean, and he doesn't mean that we become people pleasers, he doesn't mean that we try to become everything to everyone else, but rather he means that we should think about our testimony to Jesus Christ to a watching world. The world is watching how we act. The world is listening to the words that we say. And he's instructing us to know that, to understand that. Paul is reminding us that we always need to think about how our actions and reactions will affect others' views of Jesus Christ. The ideas of the Christian faith that the world will form will either be positively or negatively affected by our actions. Paul, in this passage, is talking about reputation. What is our reputation? In the same way that an ambassador carries authority for a country and therefore kind of carries its reputation in a way, so are we called as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, carrying the authority of the living God and lending to his reputation with every word and every action. There's an ancient Chinese parable that I believe illustrates this point. And if you ever want to sound incredibly smart, you just talk about ancient Chinese parables. And people think, man, you really studied and learned. I found this on the internet, honestly. Um, <laughs> Watchman Nee tells of two Christian terrace farmers. The farmer whose field was, uh, field was higher up on the hill was a Christian. He would get up early and work hard to pump water by hand for his crops. But his shifty neighbor below him would cut a path through his upper neighbor's dikes and let the water flow down to his lower field. This happened more than once, and the Christian farmer was quite irritated by his lazy neighbor. But rather than going down and yelling at his neighbor, the Christian farmer started pumping water first to his neighbor's field and then for his own. The lazy neighbor soon came under strong conviction, went to the Christian and apologized and then listened to the Christian's witness about Jesus. And he himself came to faith in Christ. Now, I know that it does not always happen this way. Probably happens less this way than the other way. But what I love about this story is that it illustrates that we don't always have to be right. We don't always have to be right. Sometimes it's more important just to be good than it is to be right. Always being right, leading with anger or contempt, malice, all of those things will alienate people from Jesus Christ. Being kind, being generous, being humble, 
Those are the things that change people. That is how we positively affect the reputation. We have a choice how we act in every single circumstance. We have a choice of what we say in every single circumstance. We have a choice in the reputation that we have. But if you choose to follow Jesus, then you do not have a choice as to whether your reputation will affect the world's view of him. And we need to understand that. First Peter says this, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Jesus, I believe, gets at this idea by saying this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. To truly be salt and light can come only from the depth of Christian character. And it's from that that we move the needle on the reputation and veracity of Jesus Christ. Our depth of character will drive that. And so Paul urges us to give thought to doing what is good and honorable, knowing that it carries the reputation and the full weight of the kingdom. The third point, peace. How many people uh, listen to sports radio here? Raise your hand. Seven total people. So this illustration will not make any sense for most of you. Uh, How many people listen to Colin Cowherd in the morning? He's literally one of my favorite people to listen to. Uh, recently, Charles Barkley, and I don't know where this interview was, but uh, Charles Barkley did an interview, and uh, he, they were talking about fa- angry fans and, and how Charles uh, dealt with angry fans. And this is a quote, I've been arrested eight times for punching fans. <laughs> and every single time, they deserved it. So uh, I got in my car, and this had already kind of played out. I think it was on one of the earlier morning shows, and, and Colin Coward was talking about it, and uh, and it was in, really interesting. People were writing in, commenting, or you know, uh, calling in and commenting on this. And I would say 98% of the people absolutely loved this quote. Just thought Charles was the man for saying this. Speaking like, I love how he spoke candidly, and, and he's really sticking up for himself. And it was more, I mean, most people thought this was great. Charles was the man. He stuck up for himself. He dealt with the issue how he needed to deal with the issue. And I'm listening to this on my way, uh, my, my way to work, and I'm just amazed at how distorted our cultural view on peace has become. Where the majority of people can hear the fact that somebody has been arrested eight times for punching fans, whether they deserved it or not, and then applaud that person. Now, this is not about Charles Barkley. I don't care about him, uh, whether he did it or not, or whether it's all a show. It doesn't really matter to me. The bigger issue is, have we distorted peace? Now, I'm all for sticking up for yourself, for standing up for those who can't stand for themselves, but I do believe we always need to hold that in the same hand with our call as Christians to be peaceable. They have to be held 
in the same hand. Jesus, in Matthew 9, says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Romans 12, 18 says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. We are called to be a people of peace. Jesus came and left in peace. His kingdom, unlike any kingdom ever, was a peaceable kingdom. Now, to live in peace with everyone sounds impossible, doesn't it? The truth is, is that it is impossible. It's impossible to live in peace with everyone, and here's what I mean. This Romans verse is interesting because it gives us a couple of qualifications. It calls us to live peaceably, but then offers two distinct qualifications by saying, if possible... And as far as it depends on you. The reality of our world is not one of peace. The world around us is in conflict and turmoil. And that reality will always affect our personal relationships. It means that our personal relationships will encounter conflict and turmoil. But this is where our call to be peacemakers becomes actualized. We as followers of Jesus Christ, always need to be the people that initiate reconciliation. If peace is possible, which I believe it is possible, so far as it depends on us, we are the ones that need to seek to make it a reality. What does that look like? Here are a couple of things that that might entail. Sacrificing your own agenda. Humbly assessing your own actions. Relinquishing control, accepting responsibility for any conflict, and then being willing to make it right. Going to the person quickly that you have a problem with in a serious attempt to work out that problem. Being willing to forgive the wrongs that are done to us. Be willing to overlook an offense. As we spoke about two weeks ago, Uh, when we looked at uh, blessing and and not cursing to those who persecute us, these are not just steps to live in peace, but it's an actual peaceable posture that we live with day in and day out. Before he was taken to the cross, Jesus told his disciples, Peace I live with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The world does not need more people willing to use force to stand up for themselves, even if they are right. The peace that the world so desperately needs is left with us to live out. As 2 Corinthians exclaims, we have been tasked with the ministry of reconciliation. It's a ministry of peace, and we should therefore seek every opportunity with great intentionality to bring peace into our personal relationships. Let me conclude with this. I began to talk with a quote about the radical nature of Jesus' ideas, all of which I believe are found throughout Romans 12, not only this morning, but as we've studied this entire passage. But I want to come back to Jesus with this quote from uh, Stanley Howarass. He says this, We are called to be like God, perfect as God is perfect. It is perfection that comes by learning to follow and be like this man whom God has set to be our forerunner in the kingdom. This is why Christian ethics is not, first of all, an ethics of principles, 
laws, or values, but an ethic that demands we attend to the life of a particular individual. Jesus of Nazareth. It is only from him that we can learn perfection, which is at the very least forgiving our enemies. Just as Jesus did, Romans 12, 17 through 18 is challenging us in the way that we are to be with others. And I don't say this in a patronizing way, but we are to be like Jesus. That is our call. Not seeking to retaliate, doing what is honorable and good in the sight of others, and being people of peace. These are not merely good principles. They are not simple ethics or laws that we should try to follow. They are the very actions and ways of Jesus Christ. Actions that we should earnestly seek to embody with our lives. This is the essence of discipleship. Not following directions, but following a person. My friend uh, Mark Hilditch, many of you who know him, uh, posted this the other day. It's a quote that I have heard a, a number of times, a quote that I love. He said this, two ways to approach the Bible. This is from a guy named Bruxy Cavey out of uh, Canada who's a, a Christian thinker and, and pastor. He says this, two ways to approach the Bible. Find out what it says and follow that. Or find out how it points to Jesus and follow him. Choose, close, or choose wisely. Romans 12, 17 through 18 is pointing to the person and life of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we cannot read them as a set of terms and conditions for Christianity. Rather, we read them as the ideas of the one that we seek to be like. Let me pray. Lord, we, we understand that as people we are broken, that we are all undone in different areas of our lives, that we are works in progress. We humbly admit that to you, and we ask, God, that you would have your way with us, continue to shape and mold us, in those instances, Lord, where it's easy just to say that last word, easy to try to hurt somebody with an action that has wronged us, help us to remember we are not to retaliate. Lord, as we know the world is watching us, may we do what is good and honorable, knowing that we carry your reputation. Father, and as the world around us is in conflict and turmoil, may we be beacons of peace. May we be those who initiate and seek peaceable solutions with each other. We desire that the world would look at us individually and corporately and see you, Jesus. Remove our own issues, remove our own stuff from getting in the way of that. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for, for the way that you use it to transform us, and we pray that we would be open to that. God, we want to be like you. Help us. 
Lord, we pray these things in the name that is above all other names, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed today. Have a good week.